Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's History Hack. It's a packed house in here today because everybody wants to listen to this guest. Alina, who do we have with us? We have Jonathan Oates, uh, who is the Ealing Borough Archivist and Local History Librarian. He's written and lectured on the Jacobite rebellions and aspects of London, including crime in the capital. His books include efforts on John Christie of Rillington Place and the Acid Bath Murdered. But he's here today to talk about his latest, which is an an anthology of, wait for everyone, because we're so excited, London serial killers. (laughs) This is brilliant. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. And you've also got, Heather is also lurking in the background. Hello, Heather. Hey. (laughs) Because Heather loves true crime as well. And she saw the words serial killers on the platter and was like, yeah, I'm coming. You're you're not holding me out of that one. Um, So... What made you want to do this? Well, um, it seemed that no one had really put together a book about London serial killers. I mean, as I'm sure all you know, you, you all know, there's lots of books about serial killers generally, and they often cover quite a lot, both from Britain in America and occasionally from other countries as well. But they're usually fairly thin um, it, for each case, and they're often quite poorly researched. So this seemed an opportunity to be, instead of one big biography of one killer and his victims, it would be um, about 10 chapters, which would give reasonable detail um, and accuracy and, and research about 10 different cases in the same book. Um, obviously not trying to comp- not trying to have a biography of of, of a detailed biography of every single one, but hopefully 10 pretty reasonable chapters um, of a halfway house, really, between general books about serial killers and um, um, and full-length biographies of just one. And also to include, perhaps, one or two people who really haven't really got the notoriety that they should have. 
Well, the first chapter is about someone who has all the notoriety. And for that reason, we're going to ignore him because you start with Jack the Ripper. But we could we could talk about way more uh, interesting stuff than that, can't we? Because um, before we do, is he London's first that we know of? Do we have we got any that predate him or is classifying them as serial killers problematic? Well, as far as I know, he, he is, generally speaking, the first. However, and I don't want to go into too much detail about this because that's question number two. <laughs> the other serial killer we'll be talking about was active from at least 1885 to 1889. So this person predates uh, the Whitechapel murders by three years and continued a little bit afterwards as well, as well as being more prolific. So you could argue maybe that they were the first that we know of so tell us because i'm so excited to do this i'm sorry i'm bouncing off the walls i'm like yes we could talk about serial killers let's talk about details because i want to know about the deptford poisonings talk to us well the deptford poisonings are very interesting because they are the work of until until the 1980s of london's most prolific serial killer and secondly London's as far as we know only female serial killer as well and yet maybe because she's a woman perhaps she is the least well known if known at all of all of the murderers in this book now Amelia Winters appeared to be a fairly respectable old lady who lived in Deptford which was in South East London quite a working class district um she had she's married, she had a family, um, lots of grown-up children who were also married, she had grandchildren, quite a lot of family people, and they all lived within a few streets of each of it. It's very close-knit working class communities you might expect in South East London at that time. And this is when we're talking now about the 1880s. She'd been born in Deptford in 1828, so she lived there all her life. Um, but what made her different from many other working class women of that time was that she poisoned people, and quite a lot as well. Now, we don't know exactly how many, but at least about eight people were poisoned by her between 1885 and 1889, but possibly more as well. As with most poisoners, most of their crimes, until the last ones, tend to be undetected, and people die apparently of natural causes. Uh, and if you're an arsenic poisoner, certainly in the 19th century, you can usually poison people and get away with it, even in the 20th century too, I'm afraid to say, uh, without people noticing. People put it down to uh, natural causes because the symptoms of arsenic poisoning, such as diarrhoea and feeling very hot or very cold and lots of similar symptoms, like feeling dizzy, could be put down to lots of other other ailments and diseases as well and of course in working class Deptford in the 1880s for people to die especially when they're very young or very old very common no one took unless it's obviously not natural causes it was very ordinary commonplace no one investigates unless there's any good reason to um, she may well have poisoned some of her grandchildren um, as well but what she was interested in was money now, serial killers and money don't often go hand in hand, but often I was they do. Say, what's her motive? That she did. Yeah, it's basically money. Basically, what she's doing, um, she's insuring people. Um, she, she's paying out life insurance premiums for um, 
her relations, friends, lodgers, and people like that. And in those days, you could take out an insurance policy on anyone's life. You, the person in question didn't even have to know about it. As long as you paid your few pence a week to the insurance collector from the uh, from, 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 from whichever insurance company you want, and maybe more than one, um, they were happy to take your money. And if a person died, then they're happy to pay out. Well, they paid out anyway. Um, and, and, and basically, she didn't was she wasn't earning hundreds and hundreds of pounds each time she was paying a couple of pennies a week and when people died she got a few she got a few pounds which actually quite a lot of money in those days for for working class people uh yeah so she was basically motivated by money so this is her business yeah indeed i'm afraid so yeah i mean her husband had no idea but her one of her one of her daughters was certainly involved. We don't know how much, but he was, she was certainly involved in forging uh, documents and putting her signature on, on, on certificates and so forth. Uh, he may have done more than that, but that's as far as could be proved. That's mental. Um, just there's a couple of quick things to unpick, isn't there? Um, and one of them is, so is it the same as I'm just going on my extensive knowledge of watching Criminal Minds now. You have to have five victims to be considered a serial killer. Is that right? Well, well, well some people argue three. I think I think okay. the FBI uh, definition is to kill at least three people with breathing spaces in between. So if someone goes mad with a shotgun or machine gun and kills 50 people in a day, that's not a serial killer. That's a spree killer. Okay, right. Uh, it's a yeah. business. Do we know anything about any of her victims? Yeah, um, they were all people who were usually they were members of her family or people who 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 she knew. So, for example, one of them was the um, was her was 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 a great nephew. Her last victim was her great nephew. Um, she tried to pose and and had started posing her great niece, but she had managed to recover. And it, um, but the great nephew, he was her last victim. Um, so that was, was one victim. Another victim was an elderly man who who the, the family had befriended, who had just come out of a workhouse, and they very kindly decided they would take him in and feed and shelter and, and give him a drink, etc. Um, so there was lots of people like that who they knew, either family members or people very close to them, who, who trusted them, of course, and who, 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 who thought she was very generous in giving up her time and food and drink to help them out. But surely after, like, the first three, you'd be like, I'm not going near her. Well, that doesn't seem to have happened. She was clearly very trustworthy. And no one had any suspicion. Doctors signed death certificates thinking, well, I think this woman might have died of alcoholism, but I'll put natural causes or something like that instead. And no, the doctors had initially had no idea that um, arsenic was being used on a quite an industrial scale. And you've got to remember, of course, at this time, 1870s, there was Mary Ann Cotton, who'd been doing likewise um, in, um, in County Durham. She was poisoning husbands, children, and people like that as well. So it was something that some women, unfortunately, did do at that time. That's the other um, thing I just wanted to mention, Alina. This is supposed to be a woman's murder weapon, isn't it? It's supposed to be poison. Well, this is why I'm not going to accept anything you ever offer me ever again, just because we've done this podcast and now I'm really scared. I'm not looking for ideas. But I, I don't mean, know these things. You might want, I don't know, my dog. Although Heather is a microbiologist and could clean up a crime scene. That's all I'm saying. So don't cross me, Alina. Um, should we move on, though? Alina, let's go. Let's, let's move on. Yeah, because you bring up Anne Cotton. 
And she used poisoning at the time. I mean, is it the MO at the time? Is this what women tend to do? Well, now a lot of men poisoners as well, uh, just to equal things up a bit. Um, and in the book, of course, I talk, uh, I don't know if it's the right time to talk about them. I talk about Dr. Cream, Dr. Thomas Neil Cream, and also George Chapman, who were around in the 1890s, early 1900s. So if you like, I can talk a little bit about these two male poisoners who were operating also in South London as well, in the yeah. late Victorian Edwardian. South era. London, Alex. Love South it. London. Don't mess with us. Um, although that's South East London and, and even I don't go there. Uh, yeah, let's leave, let's leave um, the last one because I, I think I want, I'm going to leave holes in the stories on purpose so that people have to go and buy your books. So if you want to find out what happened to the crazy poisoning old lady that nobody suspected, then you're going to have to read the book. But tell us about some of the others poisoning at the time. Well, Dr. T- Thomas Neil Cream was born in Scotland, lived in Canada and America, then came back to London in 1891. And he was actually a doctor, and, and Dr. Posner is obviously quite well known, generally, Dr. Palm and Pritchard in the early period. Um, and he, he was a quite a strange character because he liked visiting prostitutes, and apart from usual things, he also gave them because he was a doctor, he gave them tablets which contained strychnine. So these unfortunate women died horribly um, and painfully um, shortly after meeting him. Some of the women, it has the same as the arsenic, where it's a slow burn and it imitates symptoms. That's right. Strychnine is pretty quick, uh, although it's pretty painful. uh, And anyone who who is dying of it certainly wouldn't think it was quick because it would take them several hours to die in agony um, once they had ingested strychnine. Um, so he, he was perhaps a sadist by proxy, because obviously he wasn't around at the time that they were actually dying or dead. And uh, But again, his motive possibly seemed to be money as well, because he used these murders um, as part of a blackmail plan. He, he wrote to various eminent people, asking, accusing them of a murder and um, asking for larger amounts of money, which I'm glad to say he never got. We have two, don't we? We do. The other one um, was born in Poland and he was George Chapman. Well, that was his anglicised name. Um, and um, again, he was a poisoner. He used a mixture of arsenic and antimony, if I've spelled that, if I've pronounced that correctly. Um, another slow burning poison as well. And again, he was a poisoner of women. But this time, he poisoned <laughs> for women who he had gone, he'd undergone false marriage ceremonies with so no one was actually legally married to any of these women but he had he claimed he'd undergone a ceremony with them but the, and he he kills three women before he was caught and the strange thing is it's not quite certain why he committed these murders because it wasn't for money because he'd bleached all of the money of his first victim already the other two didn't have much um, so it's a bit of a puzzle as to why he, he killed them. It could have been because he had a hatred of women. It could have been um, he lived with them for a few years, was tired and wanted to get rid of them. But in that case, he could have just walked away. But he clearly had a fascination for poisoning women. And he, he, he had some knowledge of, of poisons. Uh, he read books about it. He'd been... Um, he worked as a doctor's assistant once in Poland. So he knew a little bit about poison. Or perhaps it was simply he lacked the power that arsenic and antimony gave him, i.e. the power of life and death over his nearest and obviously not dearest. I would vote for psychopath. 
Yeah, I mean, you're guess- guessing in a way motives because it must be difficult because if we had a serial killer now, they'd be looking for certain profile traits, wouldn't they? But I'm guessing at this period, they're not looking, so they're not recording certain details that would explain this to us now, are they? No, I, I mean, I mean, it, it, the, the evidence that he, he was guilty was very, very strong indeed, and there's no doubt about yeah. his guilt. Um, and um, he never made any confession, um, so we are in a bit of a it's a bit of a mystery what his motives were. I mean, obviously, one, ones I've suggested are possibilities, but we can't be absolutely certain. I guess the only thing you could do now to try and figure it out, which is, I guess, what you're doing is kind of back profile him as you would if, like, it was someone today. Okay, so let's jump forward a bit in time to Britain before World War One. Who were the brides in the bath? Well, the brides in the bath were three unfortunate ladies who had married George Joseph Smith, um, unbeknownst to them, all bigamously, and they ended up being drowned in the bathtubs that they, that, that, that George Joseph Smith had purchased for the flats they were living in. Uh, and um, they were all buried and apparently initially all seen as being victims of an unfortunate accident of having had a fit or fainted whilst having a bath and then slipped under water and, and having drowned. That was initially what was thought about all these three ladies. How do they put it together and realise that that's not the case? Well, it happened partly due to the power of the press because um, the final victim, she she died in London and um, a newspaper report, I think in the News of the World, announced that a lady had died in her bath and, and, two, up, but two, and two readers, one who lived in Blackpool and one lived in Buckinghamshire, both whose relatives had died exactly the same way, um, put two and two together and they contacted Scotland Yard and Scotland Yard sent a detective to investigate and he thought this looks very suspicious and um, to cut a long story short he um, he waited by the insurance office where George Joseph Smith was coming to collect his insurance money from his third victim and had him arrested and went on, and went on trial and, uh, and so forth. So he was money motivated as well? He was indeed, he was a uh, he was a professional criminal, basically. So I love that. That is score one then for the rise of literacy and the penny press and that, isn't it? That's a cheap publication. More people being able to read and better dissemination of information has led to this guy not being able to get away with something at opposite ends of the country. In, in, indeed. I mean, when when the second wife died in Blackpool, that didn't really get national coverage. So people didn't really know about it outside Blackpool. In London, that was a fatal mistake to kill in London. Mm. And use the same use exactly the same technique as well. So what uh, how how did you point out like that they what did he do? Is it uh, they both all been held under the water? Um, yeah, basically it is believed that what he did once he'd inveigled his, his wife uh, into the bath, uh, um, he would grab her ankles or feet yank them towards him so her head would go under the water and um, basically he would then keep her under the water until she was no longer struggling so pretty grim what a pig it is worth mentioning he he got married to lots of other women as well who he didn't actually kill he just took their money 
He said, tell me he gets what's coming to him. Oh, he did, yes. I'm glad to say he was uh, arrested, found guilty, and um, and he, he swung for it at, Maid- at Maidstone Prison in 1915. They couldn't have used him during the First World War as some sort of shield against the Germans or something. <laughs> well, that's an interesting idea. Unfortunately, no one thought of it at the time, but yeah, that's a, that's a good idea, yeah. I think you did... Prisoners did get offered the chance to go into the army in, in lieu of prison. But I guess if you're sort of a high profile killer of women, that you're not getting any favours, are you? You're not getting no, any. I, I don't think there's much of a chance. I think you'd have to be a fairly low level sort of. Yeah. I think if you're a pickpocket or, or something, they, they'd be like, come on, you yeah. scamp. But no, he's, he's not getting any favours, is he? Talking about World War One, I, I think we should move on to World War Two. And you would think, you would really, really think that during a world war where, you know, you've got genocides happening one end, battles are happening the other, people are going into the army, people are not coming home, you know, London and the whole of the UK is being bombed left, right and centre, that you wouldn't find a serial killer at this time. However, I am very wrong. Because someone was using the blackout to facilitate his crimes too. Talk to us about this serial killer. Gordon Cummins is the main serial killer to emerge in London during World War II. In 1942, um, Gordon Cummins was being trained as an IAF cadet, having served in the IAF a few years before the war. And, um, and unfortunately, in the blackout, he used the opportunity of a blackout to kill a total of four women and to attack two more women as well, who both, I'm glad to say, escaped. But, yeah, uh, the initial murder was strangulation. Uh, The the next three murders, which all took place, all these four murders took place in the space of four days, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, And I'm afraid to say that in the three later cases, it wasn't just that he killed woman in question he also mutilated the body which obviously makes him a little bit similar to jack the ripple and perhaps not quite as bad but almost so but this man killed twice he could kill four victims he was married i, I should hasten to add his, ma- his wife thought he was wonderful and said that he wasn't a pervert or anything like that so uh, she was a little bit deluded. Hold on. Isn't that what they always say? The wife always says, oh, but he could never have done this. He comes home to his family and plays with his children and loves me and brings me gifts. Yeah, I'm afraid that happens a lot. I mean, George, one of George Joseph Smith's wives, who he didn't steal from and didn't kill, amazingly enough, she thought he, he was pretty wonderful too. And, um, yeah, and um, another killer who we'll talk about later on, his female friend said that if he was released, I would marry him tomorrow. So I'm afraid it happens. That's a thing, though, isn't it? Weirdo Ooh. women and their obsession with uh, nasty men. Uh, what, what was this guy's motivation? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Well, the police thought it was primarily money because certainly Gordon Cummings, as an IF cadet, didn't have a huge amount of money. And he liked to spend money on drink and other things as well, uh, on, on women too, of course. Uh, and, um, and, and so partly it was money. He, he, he robbed all his four victims. Um, that was part of the reason, perhaps the main reason, reason. But also I think there's an additional motive because of mutilations. I think this does show something rather more nastier, rather more sort of a sadistic side to him. Like he enjoyed uh, mutilating women and a hatred of women and new prostitutes in particular as well. So I think there's, a, there's, there's two main motives. The first one is, is money. And the secondary one is uh, sort of hatred of women, I think. Yeah. Do you know, the next question here, I'm, I don't really want to say it because I can see this in my mind. And um, it's acid. And ah, yeah. the acid bath murders. I mean, uh, there's certain ways of getting rid of the evidence. You know, uh, one of them is, I can't remember the word in English, um, the powder. It's Vapno in Polish. It's... Um, Talk about quicklime. Uh, that's quick it. Lime. That's it. Sorry. Again, Polish Polish issue coming through again. So, you know, there's various different ways, but dissolving a whole body in acid kind of just sounds really horrible. But talk to us about that one. Well, John George Haig would probably have said, well, it's not really horrible because these people are already dead. Um, his first three victims, he clubbed over the head. Uh, his, and his second three victims, um, he shot dead with a revolver. Um, and then, to conceal the corpses, he put each one of them, on a different occasion, of course, into an, oil, to an, to an empty oil drum, um, which he then poured, poured um Sulfuric acid, which he'd purchased from industry, um, he purchased for industrial apparently industrial purposes. So um, yeah, and then after after he'd let the the contents um, sit for you know, a few days, he would pour them down the drains or pour them into a rubbish tip, and that would be the end completely of these people. So what what was his motivation, and who was he killing? He was a money um he was motivated by money. So like George Joseph Smith, who incidentally he admired a lot, um, he, he was in it for the money. So all his victims are fairly wealthy people who obviously had money, they had savings accounts, and they owned property. So after they they were killed, he would forge their signatures on statements and affidavits and therefore sell their houses empty their bank accounts, sell their savings certificates and their shares, sell watches. He'd even sell, and this is pretty shocking, he'd even sell some of their clothing uh, and such like to his female friend and her family. He obviously had no idea, idea where this came from. I, I, I hope he gave them very cheap prices, but even so, it's pretty bad. And he also wore the glasses, the gold-rimmed spectacles of his fourth victim as well. And um, So, yeah, he, he didn't waste things. Unfortunately for him, he spent most of this money on gambling, lost heavily, and kept. And therefore he had to find a new set of victims to befriend, and um, the whole process repeats itself. 
Is this the one you were talking about that um, his female friend thought it was awesome? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, he was 35 and he met a young woman called Barbara who was, who was 15. Um, and um, they were quite close companions for the next four years until his death, of course. Uh, and, um, yeah, she said, you know, if uh, if he was released, if he was found not guilty, she'd be very happy to marry him. Because he was married already, not divorced. That could have been tricky, but there we are. Hold on, his 15-year-old companion, so not only was he murdering people, he was kind of like a paedophile too? Well, not quite. Um, I mean, he wasn't particularly interested in, in sex, it has to be said. Um, so it's probably, it, it's pretty certain that nothing untoward happened, uh, as far as we know, as far as, as, as anyone has said. So I think they, they went to the theatre, to the ballet, they had me- good meals and good restaurants, they went for walks, it was all fairly innocent. He, he, he saw a lot of their pa- her parents as well, he even worked for her dad for a few months in, uh, in, in Crawley in 1944. So, um, yeah, but obviously you could say... Uh, and a 15-year-old and a 35-year-old, or even a 19-year-old and a 39-year-old, is uh, maybe a little bit suspect. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I mean, tell me he gets caught. Oh, yes, he, uh, he, he, uh, he was found out. His last victim left a few remains and the pathologist got onto remains quick enough to um, save them from disintegration and the links could be proved. Excellent. Okay. The next one, you've written a full book about this person, haven't you? Uh, John Christie, who was he? Well, John Christie is perhaps, after Jack the Ripper, is probably the most famous or rather infamous criminal in this collection, I would argue. Um, but that's really not because he was a serial killer. Um, basically, he lived in a house in Tenbrunton Place, which is Notting Hill in, in West London, a very slum-type of area in London and he killed six women and his basic motive uh, was sort of a sexual motive he, he would um, invite them back to his flat and um, render them unconscious um, have intercourse with them strangle them and then either bury them in the back garden or bury them in a room in the house or in his wife's case under the floorboards um, so a pretty grim sort of character um, and uh, he killed six women, but um, and he obviously he, he eventually was captured and, and, and he was hanged. So um, there's been one film about him and there's been one TV series uh, about him as well. So uh, he is probably quite well known uh, amongst all of these characters. What time period are we talking about? Well, his first murder took place in 1943. So just a year after Cummings' murders, incidentally and um, a year before Haig's first murder. His second murder was 1944, but when when the war was over, his wife was back at the house full-time, and he murdered her in 1952. And once she was gone, as he said, it was time to fulfil my destiny. And then in the beginning of 1953, January, February, March, he killed his three final victims, and he was caught at the end of March, 53. So that's a classic example of a serial killer spiralling, isn't it? 
Yes, in, indeed. So, so three victims in three months, and the first two victims about a year apart. A little bit of escalation. Yeah, I just and that one is like you say the motivation on that one. I just, I just, it's not that it's all right if money's a motive and that, but it just he he falls into the category of just completely deranged, doesn't he? Yes, yeah, I think that's a that's a fair comment to make. Yeah. So, question: Did he hang? Because when when did they outlaw? Um executions are somewhere in the 50s isn't it no no in 1965 there was an 65. act of parliament which said that capital punishment was suspended for four years so the most murders managed to get away with in that case and in 1969 it was abolished permanently except for technically high treason and piracy and that loophole was closed at the end of the 1990s so Christie tried to get away with it, like Haig, uh, by saying he was he was guilty, because you couldn't say anything otherwise, but insane at the time. And that meant if you found to be insane at the time of the murder, that means he was sent to Broadmoor rather than oh. to the gallows. But the um, jury found that he was not only guilty, but guilty and insane, and therefore um, he could be hanged. Good. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so now we're going to hit the swinging 60s. Everybody wants to be in London during this time, unless you ended up in the Thames. So what was going on during this time? Well, for six unfortunate women between 1964 and 1965, they met in their death at the hands of another serial killer. All these six women had all come down from either Scotland, Ireland or Northern England to work in London. All of them, as I said, were found dead. Two of them were found floating in the Thames, the first one being um, Hannah Tailford and the second one being um, Irene Lockwood. They were both found in the Thames in, in sort of West London. The four other unfortunate women were all found in West London as well. Now, all four of them, also all six of them, um, had been stripped naked. They were also being strangled as well. And on two of the bodies um, were found um, flecks of white paint, which led the police to suspect that the bodies had been stored. So all, all these victims had been killed and then stored somewhere for a few days or even weeks before they were actually placed when, where they were found. Um, so, so, so therefore, the, the, the police thought that perhaps some of the bodies had been stored in um, a factory where paint spraying guns were used on cars and such like, and a few bits of white paint had um, had um, fell onto these unfortunate ladies. I think I read a book on this one that was very good. And what struck me about this, this was like every parents worst nightmare wasn't it so this is women are starting to move out on their own they're not just going from their dad's house to their husband's house they're living independent lives they're getting flats together um and the worst thing that could like your worst thing that could possibly happen to you is some sadistic prick gets hold of you uh in the shape of a serial killer and that's what happened to these women wasn't it yeah yeah and it's worth bearing in mind too that some of these women were actually married and and most of them had had children as well. So it's a tragedy that affects lots of different people, not just the actual victim, but other people who are there, who become orphans and um, widows, widowers and people like that, as well as parents, of course. So tell us about him then. Who was he and how did they... Well, unfortunately, we don't know. Um, he is as unknown as Jack the Ripper. I mean, all we can say 
with a reasonable amount of certainty is that he was probably a young man. He lived or certainly worked in West London. He was probably a driver or certainly had access to a van or a car. He quite possibly lived alone. Or if he didn't, he had access to property where he could store a corpse and its clothing as trophies um, before dumping them on the streets or elsewhere. And um, clearly someone who had a great hatred of women as well. Um, they postulated, didn't they, in the investigation that he must be quite good looking because he'd managed to sort of get these six women to trust him um, enough to for them not to cause a scene to be recognised when he was doing whatever he was doing. Well, he was paying them for their services, mm. so he wasn't necessarily good-looking. Um, I mean, there are various theories about him that people have, ex- have suggested that perhaps he committed suicide shortly afterwards, or perhaps he was a serving or even uh, um, sacked police officer. Um, there's theories that he might have been um, a man called Harold Jones who had killed when he was young, but was now elderly. Uh, there's been a suggestion he was a retired boxer called Freddie Mills. There are various theories, but po- but possibly none of these are correct, the problems of all of them. Uh, um, and so the very basic outline that I've just given is probably a reasonable profile. But of course, that, that would fit that would have thousands of men in West London. So it doesn't really help us get anywhere nearer the case. Um, there was no forensic evidence. There was, there's no witness statements. There's no fingerprints, obviously no DNA or, or CCTV cameras or anything like that we would have today. So uh, unfortunately, this man, whoever he was, managed to get away with it. And it's conceivable, no highly unlikely that he's still alive now or in probably recently deceased maybe are there is that case still open well in theory it is the scotland yard case files are closed until the year 2048 so it's conceivable it could be reinvestigated but i think it's highly unlikely personally so i know this is going to sound like a really stupid question regarding these murders but what's going through my mind is what if he just moved away to america or somewhere else in europe or anywhere else in the world he just continued what he was doing and he just still didn't get caught it's certainly possible yeah i mean i mean, I mean that's that's sometimes can happen i mean people discuss why serial killers stop and it's often because when they might die or they might have some fatal illness or as you say they might well move away to another country or, and carry on there maybe because i mean I, I think it's maybe some sort of addiction like alcoholism or drugs maybe that uh there's some sort of inner demon that compels people to carry on um possibly because it's it's sort of not really accepted is it as normal that they would just be able to just stop once they've started i i think that's unlikely i mean perhaps if someone has has gets put in prison maybe or gets for, for something something else that might obviously help help yeah. stop as well maybe but if like they're still out in the world and have the means to do it it's unlikely that they can just stop again is is again from watching massive amounts of criminal mind seems to be the the theory that that they go looking for a reason why there's a gap if the if the killings do stop yeah i mean some, sometimes gaps do happen I mean, I mean that's not impossible but it's unfortunately not permanent or he ended up in prison. Sorry to throw that yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, that's possible too, yeah. 
Are there any less well-known serial killers or cases where we think that one person was probably responsible for a number of number of deaths, but you can't include them because you can't be sure? Well, I have included in the final chapter um, four different sets of killings, which all happen in around the same part of London, around about the same time, with similar victims and similar MOs, but not completely the same. So, for example, in between 1946 and 1948, four women were killed in Soho, but two of them were shot dead and the other two were stabbed in their flats. Um, it's postulated that maybe these four were all killed by the same individual, but but moving from changing from gun to knife seems unlikely, and the motive may well have been different, possibly. So that's a, you know a possibility. Um, no one was ever arrested for any all charge for any of these four crimes. And there was a similar set of cases in Soho in the 1930s, in 1935, 36. Three women were found strangled in their flats uh, within about the space of about a year. Um, and it's suggested maybe that these three could have been killed by the same man. But detectives at the time seemed to think there were three different murderers who killed these three different women for different reasons. Uh, but of course, you can never be certain. There's also a series of kidnappings and murders of young girls in West Ham and East London in the period 1881 to 1899. Um, and they are, and again, the similarities and the differences between the type of murder and the motive for them. And obviously, the time period, 18 years, obviously quite a long time. Some of the victims may have been kidnapped rather than murdered. They just disappeared. So we don't really know. So these are three cases of possible serial killers, which went, which were not thought to be so at the time. But looking back, we can see these similarities. But there's also big differences too. So it's probably unsafe on investigative grounds to count them or count any of these as serial serial killing cases in my opinion so using cases we've already talked about can you draw any conclusions about the capital serial killers or the victims well there's um generalizations you can make one of them is that perhaps unsurprisingly um roughly half of the victims in these cases were young women so that's that's not terribly surprising or uh, all employed in the same profession but about third of the victims were what might be termed, well, well were, were either wives or people who were living with men as wives. There's quite a lot of category um, of, of other women as well. Um, most of the victims tend to be, as I to say, tend to be young and female. But about, um, about a sixth or a fifth of the victims are, are men, so it's not entirely all women who are killed. Um, in terms of serial killers, most, of course, are men. We mentioned Amelia Winters, the Deptford Poisoner, but she's very much a minority. So most serial killers are men. They're mainly young men, uh, again, fairly understandably. Um, but some of the serial killers are middle-aged, um, for example, John Christie, and um, George Joseph Smith was, was in his mid-40s. Um, so, and m- most of the male serial killers uh, you can't uh, from lots of different occupations some are professional criminals and one's in the IF one's a publican one's a doctor um, all sorts of different occupations so I think so the killers are less easy to categorize the victims are 
more easy to categorise. But even then, they, they, they do represent a diversity of different people, but as I said, many women, many young. It did surprise me that more of them weren't women, if I'm honest. I think my preconceptions um, going into reading the book was that, that it would be mostly women. I don't know about you guys. Um, no, it's true. I Talking about women, I always think uh, if we're talking about victims, the most vulnerable at certain points in, in history, but if we're talking about killers, I also think they also had a really good opportunity at the time. So it's kind of a in between the two. Same. I mean, women were looked at, especially in the earlier times, as they were the more mild sex. They, oh, she couldn't have possibly done that. It would have been completely against her sensibilities and she wouldn't have been able to handle it and things like that if it was like in the form of being a killer. Yeah, I think women are supposed to be caregivers and mothers, aren't they? And it's kind of like people find it harder to accept the idea of a female serial killer, I think, or a female murderer even. Well, there's Lizzie Borden, isn't there, on your side of the pond, Heather? Potentially. She's not not poisoning people. It's like a wussy method of getting rid of people. What's the the woman who had the film done about her uh, monster? Yeah, Eileen Warnos. She did. She shot. She shot her victims, didn't she? I think so. Hitchhike and um, get them to let them in, and then she would kill them. Female serial killers, Jonathan. You will have to come back to do a special on that um, with your females only hat on. That's a challenge for you for future. But thank you very much for joining us to talk about London serial killers. Um, yeah, I just. It's staggering, isn't it? And I don't know why, but the later they get and the more recent memory they are as well, the more uncomfortable it is. Like you say, I mean, the the West London one, he could just still be walking around today and he's never paid for his crimes, uh, which is slightly terrifying um, to think of. I think probably highly unlikely, though, because that one just stopped, didn't it? So fingers crossed he got what he was coming what was coming to him in, in some shape or form but thank you very much for coming on to talk to us about the book the book london serial killers is out now it's available on the history hack bookshop jonathan thank you so much pleasure thank you then bye-bye our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book this is just a small taster as a result we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org where you can find our guests' latest books. You can support them and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section. Thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate our listeners and supporters. So make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.